Good evening, everybody. Um, Tuesday night. Uh, it's a special Tuesday night this time. We, uh, as we know, um, we normally do episodes on Wednesdays or Thursdays or Fridays, but we're going early in the week this week, uh, which is really exciting for episode 96 of So What's Been Happening. We're uh, creeping slowly and slowly um, up towards the, the number 100, which uh, should be exciting. Um, for people who are not familiar with this podcast, it all started off uh, during during the COVID, the, the dirty years um, of COVID that we uh, we all got shut down and just reached out to a couple of friends and had a, a chat um, just about life and it kind of all snowballed from there, obviously with the music industry closing down pretty much overnight like so many other industries. Uh, we decided to uh, jump on and have a chat. Um, we chatted to some fellow musician mates and the story kind of spread from there. Uh, so here we are today, um, outside of COVID, thank God, um, but also um, being still be able, able to chat to fellow artists and friends and all be people from all walks of life, really, um, which has been super. Um, and we look forward to continuing it uh, well past 100, hopefully, but let's uh, let's get to 100 first. Um, and tonight, an exciting episode with uh, Mark Muldray. Um, this should be a really good chat. And I thank uh, Chris Hamilton for uh, hooking this up for me. Um, in his uh, suite of artists that he looks after from a publicity point of view. So we look forward to having chat to many more um, in the next few weeks. And in, in fact, we've got a show tomorrow night as well, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later or I'll mention uh, as we get out to the end of the show. But um, right, let's, uh, it's just me tonight too, absolutely. So me and Mark one-on-one, -on -one, which will be really exciting. So uh, the boys pass on their apologies uh, they couldn't make tonight, but it should be an interesting chat. So look forward to it. Welcome, uh, a part of uh, episode 96, Mark Muldray. Welcome, Mark. G'day, Aaron. How are you doing? Good. Firstly, uh, I hope I got the pronunciation of your name correctly. <laughs> I was actually going to say that. You're one of the few. Yeah, you got, oh, it, you got it right first go. Fantastic. That's great. Usually, I get Mulder and Muldry. And lately, because of Mark Mordu, who's an author, yeah. um, I've been getting called confused with him a lot. So right. you got it right first go. Okay. Well, let's go with that. Um, and a nice little tinge of green I see on the show tonight, um, both in the background and also that uh, nice shirt you're wearing. So it, it must be it's in, your, yeah, in, in your theme. Absolutely. So look forward to it. Um all right, well, firstly, thanks for joining us on show uh, episode 96 of So What's Been Happening. Um, as I mentioned, how this show kind of came together, and it's fantastic that we can reconnect to it and connect with artists that we didn't know previously. So um, let, where do we find you tonight? Uh, where in, where in, in the world are you tonight? I'm on the Central Coast. I've actually only just moved house. So, okay. yeah, we moved house about a month ago. Um, but I'm I'm in Terrigal, um, okay. nice nice sunny part of the world. Absolutely, uh, no doubt. Haven't unpacked all the boxes yet. We've we've actually been pretty good. It's a, a, we've we've moved into a smaller house, so the only thing that's happened is I've got loads of boxes in the garage and loads of furniture in the garage from the house that we were in. So there's right. a lot of stuff we just couldn't fit in the house. So I can't get in the garage at all at the moment. Okay, so what's in the house is unpacked. Fantastic. Yeah, nice. pretty much. But garage sale coming. Oh yeah, I bet. Um, that's all part of part of the fun of the fair, isn't it? Um, with moving houses, that's for sure. Hopefully, it was a relatively painless um, house move this time. 
it wasn't too bad. I've, I've certainly had worse. We had lots of help, so that always makes it easier. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, all right, let's let's go back to kind of where it all began. What's your first memory of music growing up as a kid and how old were you? My first memory of music probably is the when I was a kid, I had two really close friends who were still in my band. So when I was about five or six years old, um, I met Scott and Jamie Hutchings who play guitar and drums in my band. And one of my earliest memories is probably musical memories is probably with them. When we were seven or eight years old, we started doing um, mimed Beatle concerts for our parents, which we charged them to come and watch. Awesome. And we taped cellophane over the light bulb, you know, so the room looked all blue. Um, we'd put on a Beatles record and we'd have, at first we had tennis rackets with uh, guitars stuck to them. And... Uh, vacuum cleaners for microphones and uh, yeah we used we used to mime to Beatle concerts that that and and plus the fact that their dad um scott and jamie's dad uh was a jazz saxophone player and i heard so much music in their house just because he was playing all the time and um and always had jazz on um that, that was those two things are probably my two earliest memories one other that comes from my own dad. He, he had one of those old kind of um, eight-track tape recorders in his car. You know, they, they used to take like a really big cassette. Yeah, yeah. And he only had one one of those cassettes in the car, and it was Harvest by Neil Young. So I've got lots of memories of sitting in that car and just playing that over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I can still remember that car really clearly in my head. And that record, as soon as I put it on, it just brings back memories of the car. Um, yeah, so those those few things are probably my earliest musical memories. Pretty two pretty cool uh, lineups too to uh, to have as great memories. Um, yeah. A lot of people have tragic memories of some of those first songs that mum and dad used to listen to, and um, the the classic kids concert um, played for mum and dad. Um, mate, could you find a better band than the Beatles? So, do you remember which album it was? Uh, was Helped a lot at first. Yeah, lots of help, and man, we made them sit through a lot because we used to we started doing we started doing them all the time, and we do side one and two. You know, yeah. you'd have you have to have a little intermission, and they'd have to sort of wander wander off and come back. But yeah, we made them sit through a lot of music that way. <laughs> the great part is you got them back for side two. Um, <laughs> they didn't send you to bed by then, so um, mate, that's really cool to hear a story that's uh, growing up together as such young kids. Um, and still ending up in a band um, after all these years is is quite a quite an amazing story. So, what was um, what was the instrument of choice for your first kind of uh, far foray into music? I went to guitar pretty much straight away. I think um, my mum bought me a guitar when I was about nine. Um, right. That was that was that was my first instrument. So. Um, I started playing it lots. So I think by the time I was about 11, I was having lessons. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was guitar, and I, I, I never really let it go. It's always been guitar. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. that's fantastic. Um, and any music background um, in the rest of the family? Uh, my In my family, no. So there's no one else who's really who played an instrument. It's, I don't really know where it came from, and I always say it came from 
listening to Scott and Jamie's dad sort of practice at home. Because mm. he was a gigging, working musician, he'd just be playing scales and arpeggios and things. We'd just hear him all the time in the kitchen. I remember him standing at his dining room table with his sheet music on the table, just practicing and practicing. He played with a, with a lot of famous people too. Like he was working with people like Sinatra. He was on the Midday Show for years. He, you know, he, he got to play with a lot of people and do a lot of shows. I think the biggest influence was him, you know, and in my later years too, I got into jazz, you know, and, I, and that was that would have been through him as well and I had, had the privilege of, of playing lots of shows with him as well as I got older. So yeah. that, was a, that was a pretty in, incredible thing for me. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what what an awesome um, person to be surround yourself with and um, probably not even really initially by choice. It was just kind of the kids over the road, no doubt, um, that you – kind of hung out at and you just happen to surround yourself and um, be swept up in music and not sport um, in that yeah, stage. That's, that's pretty right. cool. Whereabouts, uh, whereabouts in Australia was that? At the time I was living in the eastern suburbs. Okay, so yeah. we, were, we were living in a flat in Vaucluse um, and they were living a few blocks away from me. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah, well, in some in some respects, it probably was. Um, I've moved about fourteen times since then, but that's the, like their family is still in the same house. Oh wow, that's that's yeah. crazy! You've yeah. uh, done the tour, and they've they've stayed at home. So, and and through the years, we've had so many rehearsals and things at their house, you know, over the years. So it's just become a a center point through through my life as far as music goes, without a doubt. Yeah, really cool. So, um, and is are you lucky enough that music's Part of your full time gig now, or how does it how does it how has it been for you, or is it really just still a, a music love on the side? Yeah, it's because I it has become a full time thing, but not just not not out of playing my own music. That's for sure. I teach, yeah. so I'm, I'm I teach guitar during the day, um, which allows me to kind of have work my own hours and still write music and and do my do, do my own thing, play gigs if I need to, or you know. Keep, find find a balance where I'm doing something creative, and you know sometimes the teaching becomes a drudge, even though <laughs> even though it's music. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's um it's it's I found a good balance over the years. It hasn't always been like that. I, I my trade was a sign writer. Yeah, right. So I sort of left school, and my dad was a was a sign writer, and I went to TAFE and and learned the proper trade. You know, with a with a with a mole stick and a brush, yeah. and I, sort of. I did. Yeah. Oh, did you do that too? That was my background. Yeah, I think I was officially one of the first, uh, second last batches of actual signwriters where they use paint um, and yeah, a mold um, and paint on the wall and do all those sorts of things. So um, yeah, like I did the whole thing with um, the airbrush and I, I did my yeah. tape course with all all my lettering. And by the almost by the time I'd finished the course, it was now a defunct. Yeah, it was, it was over. Yeah. It was a computer-operated job, you know. So, that's, I think it's a real shame. And man, you don't meet many signwriters. That's why I jumped when you said that because it's just not yeah. very often you hear someone go, "Yeah, I was a signwriter." Yeah, absolutely. My old my old trade school teacher still uh, he's long oh well, not retired only a few years now, but he's he's still doing gilding on glass and all sorts of things um, and teach trying to teach kids that are interested. So it's uh, it's not totally dead yet. You still see it out there. Um, it's become like but, a boutique art, hasn't it? Like, 
Yeah. It's, it's, um, I know there's pockets in America where there's still sign writers. There was an interesting docu documentary a couple of years ago that came out that was interviewing lots of guys in America who were still, you know, using the brush. Um, oh, we went from the brush to doing hand-cut letters and then it was the computer-cut letters and now it's the di digital printing. The yeah. whole the whole fun's gone out of it. And I kind of lost interest because I really loved the, the creative side of it, you know. I, I kind of... I didn't like the idea of just sort of using fonts on the computer and typing it all in and hitting print. Yep. You know, it's, um, it's, it, yeah. As it, as has happened with, so, and seems to be happening more and more with creative stuff. Sure. <laughs> it just seems well, I suppose, to be. I suppose there's um, similarities to that in the music genre. Uh, now where uh, people are pretty much recording albums um, without actually playing an instrument, um, which is pretty bizarre. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, it's great to hear that this, and that's kind of why we, um, you know, we resonate to, to people like yourself where playing live um, is still such an important part and such a great outlet um, and such a magic part of in the arts community still. So um, thank you for continuing to do what you do. Um, I, I almost can't imagine not doing it. It's just, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't pay the bills when you're doing it you know, you're playing playing your own music. It's really, really hard to make it pay the bills. Yeah, I, definitely. I can't imagine stopping. Yeah, awesome, awesome to hear. So, all right. Speaking of um, doing doing what you do, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get you to play something for us. Yeah, uh, Mark, sure. you're kind enough to offer your time for us. So, what have you got for us? Um, I've got a song off my. Um, this is off the new album. This is uh, it's called New Suit. Oh, 
Thank you, mate. Beautiful. Fantastic. Thank you, mate. That feeling of a new suit. Um, one of our uh, friends on the show, Mark Burke, he's, uh, he was a suit specialist back in the day. He had all, he had every microfiber color there was back in the 90s. So um, new suits were very much part of his, his uh, resume. So shout out to Berkey, um, good friend of the show. Um, so just tell us a little bit about that song, mate, and then I would just want to play a snippet of that clip because I think this is a really cool clip too. So maybe you can uh, talk us through a little bit this this clip, um, and then we'll play play the touch from the start. Sure. Um, this song, I I wrote this album not long after my mum passed away. That's my mum on the on the album cover in that green emerald dress there, um, and. That song was pretty much about, you know, the funeral day, to be honest, um, sort of getting, putting on the suit and uh, sort of having to go through the motions as you do on a, at a funeral, you know, and you're pretty much just counting down the hours for the day to be over. Um, yeah, but that song came sort of, I don't know, maybe about, it, maybe about a year later. I've sort of struggled writing the, the material straight away. I didn't, I, I, I had been planning on working on a new record and and touring and stuff before my mum got sick and a lot of stuff got put on hold. Mm. Um, and yeah, but I, I kind of couldn't write for quite a while. There was nothing. There was nothing coming. I was finding it uh, hard to write anything without writing about what I'd been through. And at first, you don't. You feel like you don't want to do it, and then when it comes, you don't like what you write. Mm. Um, yeah, so, that, so I probably wrote that one about, I don't know, that was maybe the second or the third song that seemed to come along Yeah. Um, after after the songs began flowing, which, which, man, that certainly took a while. Yeah, so obviously an emotional period, and uh, sorry to hear, hear that news, but, um, you, yeah, how, how was it really for you? Um, you mentioned the kind of length of time that it took, and, and you didn't like the content necessarily that you that you put out that's a really interesting comment um how did how did where did you kind of get it to from there you know how does how does something you put down in words then you're not like the content was it a case of scrap it or was it a case of read it was a, lot, a lot of it? yeah there was a lot of stuff where i'd write it was especially the lyrical content i, I always you know i can always write melodies and i, I had plenty of chord progressions and melodies in my head but it was the lyrics you know and i think the trouble is when you're in the middle of something and you're so close to it and it's just happened mm. um there was too much it was too it was too close to the bone for me it was too personal it was too raw and i was reading some of it back and it just it felt like hallmark cards you know and i was trying really hard to not write like that but that's how it was coming out and it's just you know it's obviously just 
dealing with with sadness and sentiment and nostalgia and all of those things and it, it can come out soppy and and I, I i didn't want that to happen i didn't want to write music that was that was kind of too much like a hallmark card mm. so i decided to stop um i stopped writing for a while altogether and i certainly couldn't write in my home environment that's what i think that's where i was really struggling in the home environment it was hard so i, I think the day that i opened the, the you know the water the the, the, the water gates I, I went to the beach and i sat down with a notepad and just wrote off the top of my head just a whole lot of stream of consciousness and that was how the first song came and it was i almost ended up with what i wrote on the page that day at the beach word for word it ended up in a song and that was the the first single that i did which was called every waking hour yeah Um, and i used that as the springboard i realized once i started doing that what was coming out was much better than me trying to think too hard about what i was trying to say Mm. yeah if that makes any sense absolutely it does um I'm just going to play a little – we'll come back to New Suit in a second when I play that clip, but it just touched on the every waking hour. And, and as soon as I saw that clip, I was just really intrigued by the your um, method of your clips that you've put together as well. Um, so we'll chat to a little bit about that, but let, let's just play 30-odd uh, seconds of that. Sure. Here it is, every waking hour. Yeah, thanks for that, putting that together. It's just a classic, like everyone flicks through an album, you know, um, and seeing all these great memories and then to see you there sitting singing in, in amongst it. And just tell us a little bit about that clip. Um, it was really well put together. I was actually at the lady's house where I filmed that yesterday. She's one of my students. So we, we, she's got a, um, a property out of Pete's Ridge and we went out to her house to do it there. Um, yeah, cool. Great spot. My, my wife films most of my clips. We, we, we do them on the phone. You know, I've been doing them on the phone for ages. So it's all just done on the iPhone. And she yeah. just followed me around um, while I sang it in a whole bunch of different spots around her property. And she had these old, this old orchid kind of farm that was there as well. So there was this cool kind of big, long orchid farm tunnel that uh, was, was all kind of dilapidated. We filmed some of it there. And then I came home and like you said, I had loads and loads, especially, you know, as you do after you, you lose a parent or something, you tend to start looking through all the photo albums. And I was, I was digitizing my dad's albums. I went over to dad's house and started bringing back 
all their photo albums and just started digitizing the whole collection. And then I just kind of thought, well, the first clip, the, you know, it, it gives it, it gives a good idea of kind of what the, the album was going to be about, what the song was about. It certainly fit. And um, I just uh, chopped, up, chopped up lots of those photos and just edit, edited them into the into the clip with me wandering around the, the property. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really well done, um, well edited too. And uh, there's something, yeah, just I, I instantly think of that track now and I just think of all these pictures in my head of my own life. So it's kind of really cool that that um, oh, can cool. help I'll do that, yeah. Yeah, that means it, that means it works because that's kind of what you hope is that people don't walk away thinking about your memories or whatever because that, that would make no sense, but that it becomes a springboard for people interpreting that however they like or... Yeah, you know, absolutely. Imagine their own memories. Yeah, that's that's sort of what you hope is going to happen, and that's yeah. another reason why I don't like writing things so that they're too, they're telling too much of an obvious my my story. I, I think that was part of why when I was writing and scribbling and throwing things and chucking them away, you want to, you want people to be able to relate on their level to the things that you're writing and not necessarily boring them with your own story. You know, you're trying to get other people to relate and interpret things themselves. And I think, well, I tried really hard for there to be a certain amount of interpretation with those, with the lyrics, you know. Yeah. All right. Speaking of clips, we're going to flick back to uh, New Suit um, for a moment and just play a little bit of this. I really do like this clip. And uh, I know I just mentioned how much I like all your clips, but in this one in particular. There's a lot of lot of powerful kind of content there, um, especially when you f- reflect back and once you've uh, told me, walk me through the song or talk me through the song. It's um, there's a lot of a lot of thinking time when you're sitting there uh, reflecting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean that was that clip was just going to be a road trip with me just driving in the car, but I kind of had an idea, you know, a couple of days before that I was going to stop past my dad's place. And the end of that is my dad sitting outside our family home on the driveway yeah. um, with the idea that the clip kind of culminated on me picking dad up on the day of mum's funeral, you know, so we've, we've both got the suits on and getting into the car. Um, yeah. yeah, but it kind of, strangely enough, I, you know, I kind of thought that was a bit of a weird, quirky ending and that no one would really get it. And I got lots of messages after I after that came out where people were like, oh, that bit would you know, your dad at the end sitting out the front of the house, that really hit, it hit, it seemed to hit people emotionally. Mm. Uh, and that was a nice little kind of happy accident that it kind of worked out that way because I just thought I was doing something quirky. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it's, I think it had an, a bit of an emotional punch, which was good. Yeah, well, uh, if ever anyone wants to check out the rest of those clips, um, markmoldray.com, have a look through there, look on the YouTube channel, and that's where they there's a few clips there, and you, you'll really like that um, one especially. So I urge you to check it out pretty quickly. Um, all right, Mark, we're going to break it up by uh, playing another song for us, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, this one's from the record, the new record as well. This is called uh, Wisteria Sleep. Nothing changed at all, just a new species of silence. The words that tumbled out just float up to the ceiling. Useless vowels and consonants devoid of any meaning. Hanging in the air like the plague. Stained senses. Black mold in my mouth. No words, no words, no words left to say. It's a dream within a dream. So this can't be the end, our Lord, a takeaway Chinese. Here's a throw rug for your knees. The trees all bend to carefully listen in. There's something not quite right here There's something not quite right The lamp speaks while I can't sleep Telling stories of the dead My wife breathes like rising falling leaves That spiral around my head Nine easy steps to the end. Nine easy steps to the end. Blood stains on our doorposts as the angels light the pies and they chase the futile winds while our sorrow spread the fire. There's something not quite right here There's something not quite right There's something not quite right here There's something not quite right And the prophet Raised his hands in the air. He said, Do not despair. Just stand over there. Swallow your grief. Get some relief. Take these tablets to sleep. There's something not quite right here. There's something not quite right. There's something not quite right here. There's something not quite right. 
something not quite right here. There's something not quite right. There's something not quite right here. There's something not quite right. And if I make it, I'm going to follow a long, narrow road that leads to Nambucca, a small, silent farmhouse. And I think she left the light on. Beautiful little ending there. Um, snuck up on me, actually, to be honest. <laughs> it does a bit. Yeah, it's a great little line uh, to finish off. Um, but the light being on, um, what an important one, really, for us. Um, so just on that song, um, wh what is it for you that wasn't quite right? I guess looking back on the very, very quick... Um, period of time that we had from mum's diagnosis to to the end it was um the whole thing just felt like a, a kind of a crazy very brief dream mm. um, and I think that's that's where that line came from you know I spent a lot of nights just kind of sleeping at the hospital in mum's um mum's ward there and I think that's where that line sort of came you know was sort of sitting there it just feeling all kind of so surreal. Yeah, yeah. And that, and once again, I was carrying around a notepad like I just about always do. And if, or I've got my phone with using, using my notes or just singing something straight into the, um, into the phone. And I end up yeah. with lots of weird little snippets all over the place. But yeah, that line came from uh, that period without a doubt. Mm. Yeah. Pretty powerful line. Um, can mean so much. Um, but, I'd, I'd actually just love to see it. That that word on or that note notation on a on a t-shirt actually. Something's not quite right here. I mean, it's a great conversation starter, isn't it? Really, for for a lot of people that would be holding something in or 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 even visualizing seeing something. There's so many things that aren't right in the world, and so many things that we don't see in the world inside other people's heads. So yeah, I think uh, think about that one. There's one for your merch. Well, that's actually not a bad idea. I might. <laughs> you've got me. You've got me thinking about that one. I might. That yeah. might happen. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, send an XL my way if you do. But uh, all good, mate. Um, look, obviously, you spoke a little bit about the songwriting process for you. Um, what was the first album you kind of thought that? Oh, sorry, first song on this album in particular that was kind of done first, and you, you thought that's it. That's finished. Um. It was probably every waking hour, um, and that was because of that just straight down on the piece of paper, and I almost didn't change a word of it. Um, mm. That all just came out in one go, and that hardly ever, ever happens because I sit there agonising over verses and, you know, moving lines around and changing editing, and I, you know, I just decided, no, nope, you know what, that all just came out at once. It kind of makes weird, random sense. And um, I liked it and I just went home and tried to sing it and almost the melody almost happened straight away. It was one of those moments where that never happens for me. And that was 
that was the thing that made me want to, you know, that keep keep writing and work my way through the rest of the record. Mm. But that doesn't mean it was all easy after that. It was still it was still a really hard record for me to write. And that song that I just played, I had an earlier lyrical version of that, which I remember sending to Jamie because I was using Jamie, the guitarist in my band, as a as a sounding board. And I sent him the lyrics and, you know, I, I knew by his response he thought that there was something there, but I hadn't quite got it yet. Um, and, you know, it, it, he suggested a couple of changes with the lines. And as soon as he did that, I just went, no, nah, I'm going to rewrite the whole thing, which I did. I went and rewrote the whole song again. And that happened quite a bit on this record where I just, something when I thought I had it, I didn't. And um, I started from scratch, chucked it in the bin and, began again i think that's a really hard thing for a songwriter to, to do and i'm trying really hard to not be so precious because i think what happens is once you put something down on paper and you've written it or you've typed it on your computer you have this thought process that tells you that it's finished you know and that yeah. you can't change it and that all the lines are precious you know and i've worked really really hard to try and let that go now where i just I, i'm a bit way more of a savage editor when I look at something that I've done. And you know what? Some of the lines that you chuck, they fit better somewhere else. And if you save them, they end up in another song down the track. Um, but, yeah, I think that's been a hard lesson for me to learn as a songwriter to just go, no, this is no good. I'm scribbling four lines out or a whole verse because it just doesn't work. Yeah. And yeah. other than... Um other than people in the band, uh, do you re reflect and um, throw, your, throw your music out to other people uh, as, as sounding boards before you kind of really put it down? Or um... yeah, My wife has to listen to a lot of my, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. has to listen to a lot of my songs. Um, so she'll often be the first one who, who hears something. Yeah. Um, and she'll always let me know if she thinks it's no good or if it's, if it's good. Um, it's good when you, when you get, sort of honest criticism and people who know you really well know when you can when you can do better or when someone when something's working or not working so yeah my wife generally is the first person who gets to hear it yeah. and then i throw it down a demo and i'll usually chuck it to all the guys in the band and because of the way i am i i kind of take on board any anyone who'll come back to me with a suggestion i'll try and find a way to kind of to see it from that point of view or make a change or or whatever. So I love getting that kind of that kind of input. I don't even see it as criticism. It's input. It's people just throwing in their two cents worth, whatever it may be. And sometimes that two cents worth is just the thing you're looking for. Yeah. I kind of enjoy that part of the process. Whereas other songwriters will, will kind of hoard and keep their songs and hide them, and you know, no one else hears them until it's all done. I I do tend to let let the guys run run riot over the songs. You know, even with their parts and stuff and. And, the, and bass lines and guitar parts and yep. I just kind of let them do their thing. Yeah. And do generally does it come through from, from a lyrical start for you with music or, and, and your songs or is it, does it come from a guitar track? Like how do you, is it, does it mix up a fair bit in, in amongst your music and there's never a one, one fit formula? It's mostly the mix up. Yeah. yeah. So like for, with every waking hour, it was all the words first. With others, mm. I've got a court with new suit. It was that. It was that little. Uh, that, that was that was the first thing. That becomes the springboard. 
And then yeah. usually my, my little trick is just to sing garbage over the top of that, just total stream of conscious and consciousness nonsense. Sure. Uh, yeah. and I'll just sing it into my phone. Um, mm. It's kind of weird every now and then, even when you do that, you get a line. You know, yeah. you think that, that, hey, that little bit there just kind of worked. So, yeah, it's, it's, diff it's different every time. It might have been uh, back in the old days listening to those Beatles albums. They were, they were one of the greats at uh, doing that, just humming nothing over a song. Um, and some of the lyrics just come to your, your head. And some of those words happen to stick. Um, and the rest of the lyric gets written around that that word you might have mentioned at the time. So it's pretty cool. Um, it's a magic of magic of art. Paul McCartney used to do that, I think. Like, I think yesterday was originally called Scrambled Eggs, and it was like uh, Scrambled Eggs, oh, my darling, you've got lovely legs. Yeah, that's cool, eh? I don't know how um, long he's seen that for, but, you know, it's yeah. um, it, it's it, it does help the process, I, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and just a couple of feedback from uh, from from friends and that have uh, jumped on and a difficult but a beautiful listen took him back to another moment in time absolutely and John, um, who's a good, good big fan of yours, uh, beautiful song connects to my memory. So it, you know while while sometimes it can drag up um, the negative emotions around those kind of times, it can be such cathartic healing as well to also know that we we all go through this journey. Um, yeah. And while it was such an outpouring of emotion for you um, on that record, years later, you know, it benefits so many people to hear those words during that time. Um, it's really, really magic of uh, the power of songwriting, isn't it, um, and storytelling. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for, for me personally, it was a way of just working through the grief. It's, um, it, was a, it was a good thing for me to be able to do. I, I was able to pour it out into something and, and not bottled it up, and I think um, I think that's in the end it's healthy, and it's one of the good. You know, I, th I don't think it matters. You don't have to be a songwriter. You can just be a person writing a, a diary or what, whatever it is. If you kind of get your thoughts and feelings down on paper, um, and not just left or bottled up where you push them down, um, it's cathartic. And um, I think for me it was a really good process. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I just want to touch on a few of the album covers and single covers you've done um, over time. I, I think there's some fantastic um, albums. You just mentioned this one um, of your mother. Um, what a what a great shot to have um, put away in the isn't yeah, it? Yeah, isn't That's it? Um, her um, engagement party. Hey, there's yeah. even kind of classic '60s box of Resh's DA there yeah, on, the, yeah. on the floor behind her. That's really. That doesn't exist anymore, does it? No. Think, no, no, I don't think so. No. Um, even the saucepan on the back corner there um, on top of the table is, is yeah, yeah. stuff. Um, and one of the singles uh, on the on the album as well, Dream Decay, which I'm going to play a little bit of a clip out actually. Um, and once again, some more clips. So it must have been a nice little album Um with the, especially these, the colours, you know, the way the colours used to kind of come together back in the day with cross-processing cross and all sorts of things that used to happen. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about this one. Uh, that's, that's an oldie. That's almost one of my first releases since uh, as, a, as a solo artist. Yeah. Um, that's a picture of me with my mum and dad. Um, that would have, man, this would have come out in the... 
around 2010, somewhere yeah. like that. Um, I, I was in a band before that called Hitchcock's Regret, um, and that would have been my, I think it, I think it did, it came out before the album. So this was a four-track EP. Um, mm-hmm. And a friend of mine who's a really good graphic artist, his name's Brett Curzon, he's done all, all the, a, a lot of the work on my albums over the years and putting my concepts and making them <laughs> making them work. Yeah, yeah that's um, that's me, mum and dad. That's a picture of um, uh, when I was in France touring with uh, with the band. That was a photo that I took in a in a venue, actually. Um, yeah, great shot, and this one in particular. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a painting. Um, I've actually got the painting sitting behind me up up here on the bookcase. It's right at the end. Um, that's painted by a guy who builds a guitar for me. He's he's a Canadian named um, Lenny. And he builds guitars. He has a company called Daddy Mojo Guitars. Uh, pretty amazing, amazing guitar luthier who's built things for people like The Edge from U2 and, you know, Nels Klein from Wilco and Jack White and a whole bunch of people like that. And we've become mates. And um, he painted four paintings for me for that Fever Dreams record. Um, not only does he build guitars, really beautiful guitars, um, but he also paints. Yeah, so I was yeah, lucky enough to get from him. Yeah, it's a great image. Um, and I did find this uh, on your Instagram, actually, which is, is, I assume this is the guitar uh, in particular you're referring to, which sits behind you, I'm sure. Um, and, wow, what a beautiful guitar. Just tell us that a little bit that. about it. That is it back there. Yeah, yeah just tell so, us a little bit about what this, uh, what this baby means to you. That that. That I, me and Lenny started talking about that. I think before the pandemic began, um, I kind of wanted to. He built me a guitar about ten years ago, and I I wanted a lighter version of the same guitar and a hollow version. Yeah. Um, and we talked about it for ages, and the pandemic got in the way, and there were times when I didn't have any money, and we kept throwing ideas backwards and forwards about what sort of guitar it was going to be, and. Um, it was so much fun because, I mean, when you get to sort of choose the pickups that you want to have, the colour that you're after, which, by the way, was the same emerald green on Mum's dress in that. Yeah, there's a real green theme here happening. Yeah, there is. A... <laughs> it certainly happened that way with this record. Um, and that that green colour on that guitar made it really special to me. It looks it's quite, it looks quite, um, it's its own individual thing. Yeah, it sure is. Um it's got so a little was, bit of that, that airbrush history too, um, honouring your songwriting background too. So it's kind yeah, of cool. That 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 burst looks like an airbrush burst, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so yeah, fantastic to see. Um, and it's not often that uh, you, you get to collaborate with someone effectively on a on a builder guitar like that. So um, no. be a very no. special piece too. <laughs> The nice thing is, too, is like I was really excited about the idea and Lenny was so excited after he finished it that he's ended up putting it on his website as a now a regular model for order. Yeah, um, wow. That's so, a real yeah. thing. Yeah, he's going to keep doing them. So that that's kind of really, really nice as well. Yeah, it sure is. Um, so most importantly, um, when can people get out and see you again? When are you, when's you, when are you gigging next? I'm playing a show in November. Um, I'm, I'm playing a show with a guy named uh, Luch Lewis, and we're playing at uh, Mosh Pit um, in Sydney. 
I'm not exactly sure what the date is. Um, my drummer at the moment is away in the Philippines and it's pretty hard to keep, uh, just to sort of get my band together. They're all so ridiculously busy. My The guy who plays slide guitar and banjo with me is um, also always gigging like a maniac. Jamie has his, has his own projects. Um, yeah. He's got a new solo album coming out of his own. Plus he fronts um, a band called Infinity Broke. His his old band Blue Bottle Kiss reunited a little while ago. He's he's just a he's a workaholic. Yeah, right. Uh, and my bass player is a stonemason who tends to sort of travel away from home a fair bit. So getting everyone together is really really hard. But yeah, next next show is November, and we're, we're um, doing a, sh a show with Luch at Mosh Pit in Sydney. Okay, fantastic. Um, and is a is a road trip on the cards at all at any stage down to down to beautiful Melbourne? I'd love to think so. Um, I don't know whether whether it will whether it'll eventuate. Yeah. Once again, that's going to depend on everybody's schedules. I'd love to get down there again. I haven't got there since my because uh, Fever Dreams came out and my mum got sick almost as soon as it came out. Right. And I, I had plans to go to Melbourne with with Jamie. We were doing some shows together. Um, and I ended up having to stay home, um, cancelled cancelled that and lost it. And then the pandemic happened. So the last time I was in Melbourne was my an album that I did called Near to the Earth. Um, that was probably around 2015 or something like that. Okay. So it's been quite a while since I've been in, in Melbourne to play a show. So I'd love to I'd love to come down and do that at some point. Maybe even yeah. if it's two of us, me and Adam might come and do it someday. We've done that a couple of times. Yeah, there's plenty of cool, cool spots for a little duo. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, we'll get you on a list there somewhere for sure. Uh, we'd love to have you down here. Um, if not, uh, sounds like a November road trip up to see see you would be really cool. So there you go. Keep keep that in touch, but uh, check out markmoldray.com and um, that all the latest news is going to be on there. So we'll post some things in relation to socials and stuff as you get a little bit closer. Um, but once again, mate, thanks for really coming on. I really appreciate your time tonight. I just wanted to give you a couple of four or five questions as a bit of a quick, quick fire question um, to finish off. Uh, yeah. Give me, give me your favourite artist at the moment that you're listening to. Je probably, probably Jeff Tweedy at the moment is my favourite artist. That changes for me daily. Yeah, um, yeah. But Jeff, Jeff Tweedy probably at the moment. I've been listening to plenty of Jeff. Okay, beautiful. Um, which leads me to probably the best, your favourite artist of all time. I know there's multi-genre, but uh, what would it be if you had to really narrow it down to one? I mean, we talked about the Beatles. They've, they've probably the most longest standing influence for me is, has been the Beatles. But probably the other person who had a massive effect on me and it happened later in life was Tom Waits. And, you know, I, I can't imagine going through life without listening to him these days. Um, he's, he's, he's He had a huge effect on me, but, I kind of only maybe discovered him maybe maybe more like about 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so I discovered him late. But, um, yeah, Tom Tom Waits would be a big one there. Was that more just a timing thing for you or in around your situation all of a sudden no, something no. you found him? I reckon I just didn't get him for ages. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't I think it was it's it's more just gaining musical understanding as times passed and listening to things and enjoying things that for whatever reason when I was younger I couldn't get my head around. 
and I was listening to and playing a lot of a lot of jazz, a lot of sort of fifties and sixties jazz around that point in time. That was that was what I was listening to, and I probably yeah. just didn't I didn't get it. I didn't get the voice. I wasn't listening closely enough. And and now, man, I could I can't imagine why that would ever have happened. <laughs> yeah, isn't it bizarre when you think look back and how did I miss them or how did I not how did I not get them at the time? But yeah, you're right. Um, that's the magic of why there's so many artists and so many songs and so many genres um, that there's one for everyone in every hour of the day. Um, I've got a real, real eclectic mix of different styles of music I listen to. Um, People are like, mate, I didn't pick you for that. And it's like, well, depends what mood I'm in really. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And when you teach guitar, you've got to be that way because you just don't know what you're going to get asked to play. You've got to be pretty open-minded. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, favorite venue you've played at best the best gig that i ever did was france and there's no there's no two ways about it i got to play a festival in france in a little town called binnick that will remain the, the most amazing show i've ever i ever played and you know not not a venue but it was a festival um and that that was a, a really incredible experience which i'm never ever ever going to forget but if I had to pick a favourite venue, it's a venue that's gone. Um, working at Lazotte's in Kinkumba, uh, which was run by Brian Lazotte, who's the brother of um, Diesel. Yeah. Um, he really, he, he, he was such a welcoming guy and the food there was amazing. The way he looked after the bands who came there was incredible. It's just so rare that you find someone who's so hospitable and welcoming. Um, and I, I played there a lot. A lot. I got to open for lots of lots of great people, and um, I'll you know, man, I'll never forget that place because of Brian's hospitality. He was he was an incredible host. Yeah, doesn't that make a massive difference? Um, hosts and ve- people that really want you in in the venue, um, and they want yeah. you in the venue for more than just trying to bring a crowd and pull a crowd and make a few bucks. Um, yeah. you, you do you do um, connect. I know myself just as a punt, regular punter. Um, we go into a venue and it just makes a difference um, when someone you can really feel the different energy in the room when that happens, um, and yeah. you actually feel welcome. And there's no reason for them really to welcome you other than they get it. They get what you mean to you know. There's no point in the music playing to no one. Uh, it's no, just not going to happen. And it's, yeah. uh, sadly, it's really rare. Yeah, it's it is. Really- it's really rare, you know. You, it's I don't know whether it's an Australian thing or whatever it is, but you kind of, you know, you just sort of get told there's your there's your rider, there's your room. See you, see you, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but Brian Brian was incredible. Yeah, and I, you know, it wouldn't matter when how many times I played there. You always got treated exactly the same way. You ate yeah. you ate food that everyone was eating upstairs. You choose food, your dinner from the same menu. Yeah. He'd make sure that you were really looked after from the beginning of the night to the end of the night. And I reckon that's why there was always so many great people who were always really happy to play there. Mm. Yeah. yeah, awesome. awesome. Yeah, so many people talk about that venue still. Um, uh, now, obviously, this is in the situation of you're one of the biggest bands in the world right now. Who's your support? You can have anyone. <laughs> living, living or dead. <laughs> Oh, that's a toughie. Um, not that he would ever do it, but I, I went and saw. I, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of guitar players. 
And I, 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 there's a there's a guy named Bill Frisell. He would be he would to sit and have a chat with him, and to listen to him play guitar. That would yeah. that that would probably be my choice. I've seen him play a couple of times. That'd be yeah. a weird choice for a band before an opening. But he's um he just seems like a nice guy. And the good thing with the supporters, you get to usually meet each other backstage and sit around and have a bit of a chat before the show. Yeah. That'd probably be the thrill for me. Some somebody somebody like him, Mark Rebo, who played guitar for Tom Waits. He'd be yeah. another one. Yeah. Okay, so. That's kind of leading me into my last question for you tonight, um, Mark. And thanks again for joining us, spending an hour with us. How quickly an hour's flown by! So um, it it's incredible. But uh, we'll finish it around now. But what I wanted to do is just one of the boys would normally ask. We give him about one question to ask, and this would be it. Um, you're hosting a dinner party. You, you, and five other guests. Uh, they can be living or dead. Who's who's at your table? I'd have to say my mum first, for starters, because I definitely want my, my mum there, and probably my dad as well. Yeah, um, yeah mum and dad, they'd be, the, they'd be the first two. My, my we'll wife... Make, we'll make them one, so that's cool. Mum and dad are one. Um, yeah. If I was thinking more, just if you're thinking more, just people who I'd love to sit around and talk to, well, I guess kind of what we were just... What I was just saying then, I love talking to other guitarists and talking guitar. That's, that's probably something I really enjoy doing. So there'd be people probably like um, Neil Young. I love his guitar playing. I've always loved his guitar playing. He's an interesting character. Mm. Um, Bill Frisell and Mark Rebo. Tom Waits. I mean, how could you not have Tom Waits at the table? He's the yeah. greatest storyteller of all time. You never yeah. know whether he's telling the truth or not. Yeah. So, And I reckon if you had Mark Rebo and Tom Waits sitting together at the table, you'd probably get a lot of great stories. So... So maybe those two, Bill Frisell, Neil Young, Mum and Dad. How's that? Yeah, wow. What a table. Um, that'd be cool. Be cool. And something to um, put your head on the pillow tonight and think of how cool that would be. Um, tell yourself some stories about uh, some of the things that you'd tell them. And uh, even though you feel like you've got nothing to tell them, um, I'm adamant you would have some great stories to tell. So um look it's been really nice to meet you in this environment mark um and spend an hour with us having a chat to us and whoever else listens on later um but we really wish you all the best um for this new album uh it's exciting to get it out there there's so many people putting out good music now um and especially uh as powerful an album as this been has been for you um it's an emotive one no doubt and we look forward to having it out in the world um and letting it do it th do its thing Really appreciate you having me on, Aaron. That was great chat. Really enjoyed it. Great. No worries at all. I'm going to finish off with uh, one of your clips from uh, one of your songs, Dream Decay. Uh, I think it's a, it's a beautiful clip um, and once again shows your, uh, your great prowess to, to putting together clips that are really support your song. So um, long may I continue. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks a lot, buddy. No worries. We'll talk soon. Of wood out of a fire Wisteriously buried deep in your eye Mama, don't you leave me here The coast is warm this time of year It's unusually warm this time of year 
capsules for your backache. Gaff tape, kidnap, Halloween. Two men standing by the guillotine. We stole their bodies for the final scene. This is a dream decay. Follow the lights, it's another day. This is a dream decay. Wake up, I don't wanna stay. Sweat, this coffee tastes like cigarettes Cut it out, but it's still alive Trash collector on the road to life Cut the cord with a, a butter knife This is a dream decay Open your eyes, it's another day This is... There we go. Dream Decay. I'm going to leave that uh, there. And if you want to check out the rest of the song, um, markmoldray.com. Make sure you check it out. Um, it's been fantastic to have you all part of uh, this journey with us on episode 96 of So What's Been Happening. Um, tomorrow night, we've got an exciting one. We're going again Wednesday night with uh, Chris Carapetta, which is another one of uh, Chris Hamilton's um, lineup that he pr- promotes. So, um, look forward to having a chat to him. Uh, that'll be really exciting as well. So please join us tomorrow night. And once again, uh, I'd like to thank every one of our guests that we've had on all shows so far. Here they are. Um, and have a great week. We'll see you tomorrow night. Hopefully you can catch us. <laughs>